In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. First question for today is, who wrote the Synaxarian, and when was it written? So for those who are unfamiliar, the Synaxarian is a, a reading that we read in the church and uh, during the liturgy, right after the book of Acts. Um, and the word Synaxarian means collection. It's a, a chronicle or a history of many of the stories of the saints um, all throughout history. Most of the saints are ancient, uh, but there's also more recent saints that have been canonized as saints that have stories in the Synaxarian as well. So it is a type of hagiography. The, that's the, the term hagiography means a biography of the saints. Um, it focuses very much on uh, showing and presenting the life of the saint, not necessarily in every detail of their life to be a historical record, but it focuses more on um, the aspects of their life that can inspire us to live in holiness and faithfulness toward God. When we see that others who came before us that were also human beings like us and seeing the the kind of the, the, the experiences that they had, how is it that they were faithful even in the midst of very difficult circumstances um, and oftentimes being even martyred um, for the faith. So it's, it's intended to be an inspiration for us um, in addition to, to, to knowing the history and understanding where we came from and, and all the people that um, showed faithfulness all throughout history that kind of led us to where we are now. Um, the reason that we read it immediately after the Acts is because it is seen that it is like a continuation of the Book of Acts, right? The Book of Acts is, um, you know, a chronicle of all of the events that happen immediately after um, the, the resurrection, ascension of Christ, right? And we see the formation of the church. We see the martyrdom of people like St. Stephen, for instance, um, and, and we see like the, like the church in action. And so the Synaxarian is like a continuation of the book of Acts. It's like a, the, the church in action, the, 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 the lives of the people who are in the church and how they uh, express their faith and how they gave up their lives for Christ. Um, so uh, the exact date um, that the Synaxarian was authored um, is, not, is not known. Um, but there are several authors that we know of, uh, some authors such as Ambabotros and Gamil, uh, these are different bishops um, throughout history that contributed to the Synaxarian. Um, also, we know there's a famous saint. His name is Saint Julius of Akfas or Saint Julius of Akfasi. He is um, a saint who was also a martyr. And God would actually, like he lived as a contemporary to many of the saints that are um, spoken about in the Synaxarian. And um, God would actually reveal to him whenever there was a martyrdom that was about to happen about a specific saint. And this saint, Saint Julius, he would go to the area where that saint was um, about to be martyred and he would learn the story of that saint, who he was, his history and, and chronicle all of that. And so a lot of the writings that are now in the Synaxarian came from him um, as a contemporary of those saints. He, he himself ultimately was also um, martyred. Um, one important point uh, when we're talking about the Synaxarian is you'll notice that um, the dates, so so every every saint is given a date. We, we focus so much on um, the, the dates of the departure of the saints and the martyrs. Um, and it speaks about like when certain people lived and what period of history. And usually in the Synaxarian, there's like two dates given. One date is uh, 
according to the Coptic year, and one date is according to the Gregorian year, right? Those are just those are the same date. It's just using two different calendars to express the same time period. Um, so the, the Coptic calendar starts in the year 284 AD. So there's 284 year difference between uh, the Coptic year and the Gregorian year. So right now our year is we're in 2020 to 2021. That's the Coptic year we're in. Um, the Coptic year is 1737. Uh, so, uh, that's important to, to understand. Um, nine copies of the Synaxarian have been found in different locations. Um, and these are considered as the original source of the book that we use today. So it wasn't that there was just a single book. There was different copies of books that were found. There were three manuscripts that were dated in 1114 AM. AM means, uh, the year of the martyrs, right? So the year 284 AD is was was like a year that was marked by a lot of martyrdom, and so it was decided that the the beginning of the Coptic calendar in terms of the years would start at that year. So so just as we have AD, which is Anno Domini uh, for Gregorian calendar, okay, the year of the uh, the year of the Lord, um, we also have uh, in in the Coptic calendar AM, which means the year of the martyrs. So 11.14 a.m., there were three manuscripts um, that are dated from that time. Uh, two copies are present in El Baramos Monastery in Egypt. One of them was dated 1496. Another one was dated 1360. These are all a.m. years, not, not A.D. years. Um, two copies uh, are present in the Coptic Museum uh, in Cairo, including the most ancient one, which is in 1056 AM that was dated, and a second one dated 1450 AM that was translated from the Ethiopian language to Arabic by St. Christodoulos, who was the Metropolitan of Ethiopia at the time. And these copies were written on deer leather. Another copy was discovered, uh, printed in Beirut in the year 1905 AD, which was based on the older copy that was printed 1430 AM, and a copy was printed in Paris uh, in the year 1299 AD in both Arabic and French. So just like many of the ancient documents that we have, um, there wasn't like one single source, but there were copies, right? Remember back then there was no printing press. There was no way to make copies other than to manually write it down. So there would be an original source and then people would transcribe it many times so that it could be distributed in different places in Egypt and for the churches to use. So we have many of these copies um, of you know, of the originals, okay? So there wasn't really a single author, there wasn't really a single date that it was authored, but this is kind of how it developed over time. And this is actually something that continues to change, you know? You know, we oftentimes speak about the church like we are the church that doesn't change, right? But that's not really true, you know? There are aspects of, us, of what we do that don't change. For instance, the dogma, our faith does not change. You know, our doctrine does not change. We, we have certain beliefs about God, and because God doesn't change, we don't change, right? But that doesn't mean that our expressions of faith don't change. You know, there have been many changes to the liturgy over history. There have been additions and, 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 and changes to the Synaxarian over, you know, history, new saints added or stories amended or, you know, things like that. So um, so it's a, it's a living document. It's constantly being updated. I mean, I, I want to say constantly as in on like a yearly basis, but um, you know, recently, for instance, a few years ago, there was a second edition um, that was published. Uh, you know, uh, so so there, there's there's definitely changes that happen. You know, 
over different periods of time um, for anything really in the church, but also including the cynics area. Number two, in Isaiah 50, verse four, Isaiah says, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learner. What does the tongue of the learner mean? So if we read this verse in the New King James, so this, this quote here is not from the New King James, but if we read it from the New King James, I'm going to read verses 4 and 5 together, and we can kind of discuss, discuss it, okay? So Isaiah 50, starting in verse 4, it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Okay. As in many of the writings of the prophecies in the Old Testament, there are several meanings, uh, several fulfillments, several understandings of what a verse could mean. So for instance, part of this is a messianic prophecy uh, about the Lord Christ. Okay. But I'm going to focus on um, a spiritual aspect of the meaning and how it can really apply to us, um, you know, in our lives today. Okay. So we can really find in this two verses, we can really find there's like three main sections or three main ideas. Okay. The first one is it says the tongue of the learned is the one who speaks from, you know, the, the, the sorry, the, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. That's the, that's the first section. So the tongue of the learned is who, right? This is someone who speaks, who is learned, right? So someone who is understanding, someone who has knowledge, someone who has experience, right? This is really a categorization of someone who is a teacher, right? Someone who has a depth of understanding of the faith, someone who understands the world and the way that the world works, someone who understands the human soul, uh, humanity, someone who understands themselves, someone who has faith and believes in God, someone who is transformed by the spirit of God and understands the things of God and has experience with God, right? This is the the person who is a teacher, who has the tongue of the learned, right? Also, a person who, you know, has the tongue of the learned, someone who's really learned according to the Christian understanding, right, is, is someone who is humble, right? We don't, we don't boast and are puffed up with the idea that I have knowledge and understanding because ultimately we know that we are sinners, that we are weak, that we are saved not because of our knowledge or because of our good works, but because of the, the act of salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ for us, right? So we bear the spirit of discipleship to the Holy Spirit. We are bearing the spirit of discipleship. We are, we are following the Lord faithfully and humbly, right? Regardless of the rank that a person might have, whether that rank be an ecclesiastical rank in the church, like someone who was a priest or a bishop or pope, uh, or even the, the social rank, like the, regardless of, you know, what, what's, what level of success the person has had in their life or have like high positions of authority or so on, right? So this is the person who speaks through the work of the Holy Spirit in them. The work of the, the, the Holy Spirit is like uttered on their mouth. The words that they speak are like the words of wisdom, right? And they're speaking from practical experience that they have experienced through the, the like in their relationship with God throughout their life, not from just a theoretical academic perspective. And this is important because you see a very big difference, like for instance, when we're speaking about commentaries, right? Because one reason that we 
you know, when we read the Bible and we find that there are things difficult to understand and we want to get more insight into what they mean, we, we, we refer to commentaries. We refer to, uh, you know, books that are written or resources written by people who are explaining to us what the Bible means, right? And if you go to certain sources, like sources, sources from the church, like sources from the early church fathers, you see that there is a sense of reverence and holiness and wisdom in the words that they say, where, where they have like really like surrendered their life to God and are speaking truly the wisdom of God on their lips, right? You can sense this in the words. You can sense this in their insight. You can sense it in the way they, they see the meanings behind what is written, right? And that you can tell that this is really how they choose to live. Um, versus sometimes when you go to some commentaries that are written, um, and to be honest, uh, you know, you have people that are atheists that have PhDs in Christianity, you know, like Christianity is something um, to be studied as a religious study, right? And you have people that try to expound what is it that the Bible means, just as you would have someone try to explain what different works of literature, famous works of literature in the world means. You know, like Homer's Odyssey, for instance, when you, you read, what, is it, what does it mean when, whenever you read like certain passages that are difficult, right? So just because you go to a commentary that is expounding on the meaning of the Bible, right, doesn't, see, doesn't mean that you are reading the words of a wise man, of a wise person, of a person who has this tongue of the learning, right? The person who, is, who has wisdom of God, who, has, uh, who lives a life with God, who, who seeks a life of repentance, who... Um, has experience with 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 God in their in their practical everyday life. This is a person who is different in the way that they are expounding and understanding and explaining than a person who simply has an academic knowledge and understanding of maybe what certain verses are referring to in historical context. Right? The Bible is more than just a history book. It's more than just a book that has a bunch of facts and information. It is a book that is filled with the Holy Spirit, written by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit touches our soul as we read. And so um, we must read and understand it from this perspective. And we should seek after commentaries from the Orthodox Church that are reflecting of the true nature of the scripture and not simply kind of cold facts, grammatical analysis, historical analysis of events that happen, but kind of uh, like inspire us to, to go deeper and to understand the true applicability of the things that are said in the scripture. Um, so that's the first aspect, I would say, of, of these verses that we read, right? Is that this person, the tongue of the learned, is one who is a teacher who speaks from their understanding, knowledge, and experience. The second is, um, it says what the tongue of, uh, uh, says a, a word, uh, th that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. Right. So what is the one of the, the things that 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 this person who is learned in the scriptures, who is learned in the things of God does is they speak a word uh, in season to him who is weary. Right. So a person needs to be able to speak a word in season, meaning they, they say what needs to be said at the right time, according to the situation. This is this is something that requires wisdom and discernment. Right. Um, in Colossians 4, 6. Uh, St. Paul, he says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one, right? 
when our speech is seasoned with salt and it is filled with grace, the Spirit of God speaks on our tongue according to the needs of the listener, right? According to the needs of the listener. Just like on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down upon the apostles and St. Peter went out and began to preach, everyone heard him in their own tongue. You know, everyone heard him uh, as though he is speaking their own language. The same is true with someone who speaks through the Holy Spirit. I don't mean the speaking of tongues. I mean the idea that one message, that one sermon, that one word can touch different people in different ways for the benefit of all is not a human uh, thing. It's not, a, it's not something a human can do. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in that person who is speaking and speaks to each one, right? Um, to someone who is weary, we can speak to them a message of comfort and hope, right? To someone who is going astray, we can speak a message of warning and rebuke. To someone who is repentant, we can speak to them of God's forgiveness and mercy. To someone who is rebellious, we can speak to them of God's judgment. To each person, according to what season of life they're in, according to their situation in life, we speak to each one according to the season. To whoever it is whom we are speaking to, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. The last part of this passage says, um, the, he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learning, right? He awakens me morning by morning. Like if you imagine, think of this imagery that, that he is awakening us, right? That when we wake up in the morning, it is God who awakens us. It is God who allows us to live. It is God who calls us to live another day under the sun, right? And, and this day that God calls us to live for, right? God, God intends for us to live it with him, right? He, he, he awakens us not only in a physical sense that we are now conscious after we sleep, but he awakens us through the work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit uh, makes us aware makes us alert, makes us convicted, makes us determined, makes us to feel like this day that I am living is a day that I'm living to God and not a day that I'm living to myself or not a day that I'm living to the world, not a day that should be filled with lust and distraction and temptation, but a day that should be filled with striving, with holiness, with forgiveness, with mercy, with repentance, right? This is uh, the awakening of the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit gets our attention and he doesn't want us to live as though we are asleep, kind of drunk of the world, drunk of, you know, the things that are in the world and kind of blinded to the greater truths and the greater realities that as Christians in our worldview, we believe. And we know that there is a greater world than the world we are in. There is something greater. There is something higher that we are called to do and a greater purpose that we have. The Holy Spirit awakens us every day to remind us that this is our place, that this is our purpose, that this is what we are called for. And he warns us when we are approaching some kind of a danger. He warns us when we are at risk of going astray. He warns us when, whenever we are going down the wrong path, right? Um, this is a daily ongoing thing. 
This is why in Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 3, he says, because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Right? They are new every morning. Every morning, the Lord is new right in me every day i am renewed every day god is calling me to for something new this is like um you know a, like a soldier in the army who every morning wakes up and listens for their commanding officer to tell them what is it that i should do today what is it you want me to do right we should have the same mentality for god is i'm, I'm being called every day to do what god um is, is is wants me to do the last part here where he says what um he awakens my ear, right? He, he awakens my ear. Um, in, in, uh, in Matthew 13, the, the disciples were asking the Lord, why is it that he speaks in parables? And the, the Lord said, therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, right? A person can hear something but that thing that they hear does not enter into their soul, does not become a part of them, does not become a reality for them. It's just words. It's just uh, something that they hear externally, that they hear and then dismiss, right? Um, but the idea that the Lord, what awakens my ear to hear as the learned is someone who is now able to, you know, hear the things of God, see the things of God and recognize their, their importance, recognize how valuable they are you know how many people listen to you know the the a sermon or preaching and just kind of walk away unmoved and unchanged and uninterested right or even worse blasphemy you know blasphemous against god for whatever it is that they heard right so so those who are friends of the holy spirit have this open ear that have been has been opened by um the lord so the Holy Spirit in that case is not teaching them through parables in the sense of stories and analogies as kind of like a distant representation of the truth. But it's like God is entrusting them with the mysteries of the kingdom, just as the Lord, when he spoke to the disciples, he, he cut to the heart of what it is that, you know, he was trying to say only through parables to other people. Right. So God reveals to us himself. He reveals to us the mysteries of the kingdom. Right only to those ears who are alert to hear as the learned to hear as one who can understand um this is similar to what saint paul said to the corinthians in first corinthians 2 when he says what for who has known the mind of the lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of christ you know our understanding of the truth our understanding of reality is a far greater understanding because our ears have been opened through the work of the holy spirit in us and the more we are attentive and obedient to God, to his voice, the more the Holy Spirit is ignited within us and we experience him more, we understand him more, we enjoy him more and so on, right? That's why in First Thessalonians, St. Paul says to the people, do not quench the spirit. When we quench the spirit, when we resist the spirit, when we ignore the warnings or the, the callings of the spirit, then all these benefits that we speak about here are dimmed, are diminished, are are like de-amplified, are, are 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 made to be imperceptible to us. That even while we are Christians and when we proclaim our Christianity and our faith, it becomes more of that theoretical academic belief 
that I believe of the facts of certain things that have happened in history. I believe the fact that there was a person named Jesus. I believe a fact that he was crucified. I believe facts about the history of the church. I believe facts about the doctrines and the faith and all of that. When, when, when we take the Holy Spirit out of Christianity, then all it is is it becomes like a cold shell of information, right? And sadly, sometimes we pursue our, our life with God in this way, where we are not being awakened morning to morning, when in fact, morning to morning, we feel like we are further away. We feel like we are more weary. We are feel like we are more deaf and not even seeing or realizing what is missing. What is missing is a true relationship with the Holy Spirit. What is missing is a true uh surrendering of my life to God, of a desire to change my life, to desire to change the course of my life, to make decisions according to the things of God and not to maybe what selfishly for me I would rather do, to listen, to obey, to follow, to sacrifice, to be a disciple, to count the costs, to know what it is that God is calling me for and to going after it completely with my whole self, not part of me, not a piece of me, not when it's convenient, but my whole self to follow after the Lord. And, and I will experience the work of God and the Holy Spirit this way in my life. And I will really then say, I believe. I believe in God, not because I can you know, provide evidence of some empirical facts uh, of, of issues of faith, of historical events, but I truly see the Lord and I truly feel his presence in my life in a way that cannot be denied. Um, and my faith is strong as a result. Number three, why do the priests prostrate when they go to greet the bishop? And, and should everyone else do that too? Um, we prostrate, so first of all, who is the bishop, right? So the bishop, the bishopric is a rank of the, of the, of the priesthood. These are, this is the highest rank, right? The highest rank of the priesthood. These are the ones who are the direct servants of the Lord, just like the apostles, just like uh, the, the Lord chose the apostles, the Lord is choosing the bishops, okay? So they are of the highest rank of the church, right? They lead the church through the working of the Holy Spirit. So even though we do not believe in the papal infallibility and the idea that, um, that God works through a single man, in an infallible way, as the Catholic Church believes, but we believe that God works in the council, the council of bishops together, who God makes to be uh, leading the church in the right path, in the right direction. They have been entrusted with the keys of kingdom of heaven to bind and loose sins. They govern the church for the benefit of all through the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? So the bishop is a representation of Christ, Right. This is why one of the hymns that we can chant whenever the bishop enters the church is the same hymn that we chant on Palm Sunday. Uh, the same as the people said when the Lord Christ entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, when they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This hymn that we chant uh, for Palm Sunday is the same hymn that we chant when the bishop enters the church, not because we are identifying that the bishop is somehow God. It is because he is the representation of authority that comes, that like his authority has been given to him by God, and he is the authority that God has placed on earth for the governing of the church, right? 
So, so we, we, he is the representation of Christ. So when they, when they enter the church, when we see them and we prostrate before them, this is not a prostration before the human being, okay? This is not a human being like bowing before another human being. This is someone who is kneeling and, and bowing to the priesthood, to the Lord Christ himself, to the representation of who that bishop is and what they represent, okay? That is what it is that we are prostrating for. It is not a type of worship. We are not worshiping. We are showing honor and reverence because of the rank of that person, okay? Um, the correct way to do the prostration in any prostration is to do a full prostration, which means that we get down on our knees and we bow, we touch our foreheads to the ground, okay? That is a full prostration. And that posture is a posture of humility. Like we are reminding ourselves, we are demonstrating that we are of the dust, we were made of the earth, we are, we are low, we are bringing ourselves low. It's a posture that demonstrates humility, okay? Um, the prostrations can also be done for a priest, uh, but it's, it's more typically and more commonly done uh, for, for the bishop. Um, I'll tell you a funny story is uh, after I was uh, ordained, maybe within the first year after I was ordained, so I was still in touch with some of my coworkers uh, from my previous job. And we were friends, so um, we, we set up a time where we were going to go have lunch together. So I met, uh, I met them um, at this restaurant, and I was standing outside in the front on the street, and one of, the other, one of the other coworkers was standing with me, and we were waiting for the other people to arrive. And we were just there talking, and then suddenly this man comes um, who was just happens to be walking on the street, and without saying anything, he, 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 he kneels down, he does a full prostration on the ground, and then he kisses my hand and he walks off. He doesn't even look at me, doesn't talk to me, doesn't do anything, just that was it. And I was actually a little stunned because obviously I wasn't expecting that like out in public. This person was not even an Egyptian person. He was, he was maybe he was a Eastern Orthodox or something like that. Um, and maybe he thought I was a bishop or I, I don't know what he thought. But my coworker, he kind of looked at me stunned you know, at this site. And he probably thought like, this is a common thing that everywhere I go, people are just doing that. Um, but, but that's, that's the type of prostration uh, that, uh, that, that, that we do for the bishop. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 17, St. Paul says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. What does not by wisdom of words mean? So here St. Paul is saying two things. The first thing he's saying is that his primary mission was to preach, right? Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Does this mean that he is like downplaying the importance of baptism? No, he's saying that, I am preaching, and there could be other people that baptize, right? Like other people are, are baptizing. But his main focus and his gift and his mission that he was called to do was to go around and preach, okay? Um, and when he preaches, he is not preaching simply uh, an eloquent sermon. He's, he's not simply speaking about the worldly wisdom. You know, anytime in Scripture where the idea of wisdom is criticized, 
It's speaking about the worldly wisdom. It's speaking about the worldly understanding. It's speaking about the type of knowledge and information that is exalted in the world, right? Uh, that that is that is against, right? The wisdom of God. Okay. So the power of Saint Paul's message was was in its words of salvation, not because it was a carefully prepared homily spoken by a talented speaker or any of that stuff. Not because he used like you know certain techniques so to 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 deliver a sermon, but because the message was the message of salvation, right? And in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, this is in the following chapter, um, St. Paul, he says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Right? His speech, they were not simply words. They were not simply empty words that are crafted in such a way to make a convincing argument. They are, they are words, as we said earlier, right? that are infused with the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God to touch uh, and reach the hearers, those who would hear the word and benefit from it, that the word of God is working um, in them. So the focus of his message was the salvation, right? And that salvation came through the cross, right? So St. Paul always spoke about the cross of Christ. It is through which the salvation came. So he's saying, I'm not going to leave behind the truth of salvation from the cross of Christ and instead focus on worldly wisdom, focus on these, you know, uh, human wisdom, things that I should say to kind of get people's attention or whatnot or things that people talk about in the world. My focus is on speaking about the, the cross, the message of salvation. It was not an empty philosophy. Um, it was based on the sacrifice of the Lord. And also it was demonstrated by spirit and power, it is it is a it is an active faith. It is a it is a live faith, right? When we speak about our faith, it is not simply, as I said before, it is, it is not simply the belief about past events. It is not simply saying I believe something specific about events that happened in the past, and that's what makes me a Christian is because I have a certain belief system. Okay, it's a it's a it's it's alive. It's it's something that I live right on a daily basis. And that is the demonstration of the spirit and the demonstration of the power of God in my life. This is why when St. Paul in Philippians 3.8, he said, yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, right? Someone who would see Paul living this life seeing him counting everything as loss, seeing how he has uh, essentially sacrificed everything that he had, that he has denied himself everything in the world for this one mission of preaching Christ and going around the world and converting people to Christianity. This is in itself a demonstration of the spirit and of power, right? That God would move him to do such a thing. This is not someone who gains personally from his vocation, from his preaching, from his authority, from anything that he does, he gains nothing for himself personally. He has given himself completely. You know, he, he he was not seeking comfort. He was even not even seeking money from the church, even though he said, it is my right, you know, to receive uh, support uh, for his life from the church. But he said, even this, I have, um, I have not taken, you know, even this, I have not gone after, I have not asked for it, even though it is my right, I have not asked for it. 
you know, lest it be a stumbling block to anyone and lest it be um, a distraction and lest it kind of take away from the, the mission that I am called for, right? So this is someone who was speaking not with worldly wisdom, um, but by truly demonstration of the spirit and of the power of God. Number five, why did St. Macarius say to St. Moses the Black that he must stay in the monastery and that if he goes to the world, his sins would come back to him? Does this apply to a certain kind of sin that when we commit these sins, we would be very vulnerable to fall again just by being around people in the world? So to get an understanding of this, St. Moses, okay, how he started his life, he, he, he lived a very sinful life. And he was not like a person who grew up in the church or grew up like with an understanding of the church. He was a pagan, right? Um, and he, he lived this, this very sinful life. He was, he was a robber. You know, he, he, he was a very lustful, sensual man. Um, he was a glutton. And so he, he grew up his whole life kind of with these habits and these addictions and, and this way of, of life. When he later in his life, uh, repented and he joined the monastery and under the guidance of the monks there in the monastery all of his struggles or all of his temptations all of the things that he had become addicted to all his his natural inclinations his habits all of those things they didn't just disappear in a moment right they didn't just go away instantly he continued to struggle he continued to have temptation right um and, and his, his temptation was so intense that famously he arose like one, one single night many, many times to go and confess his sins to his father of confession, Abba Isidore, right? Because, because that's what he told him to do. He told him, whenever you have a temptation, come and confess, right? So he, could, he didn't even wait until, you know, the morning. He went several times, even in the middle of the night, to go and confess his sins because he was so serious about wanting to overcome these things, right? So the point is, is that simply because we accept Christ or are determined and dedicated, committed to make a change in our life does not mean that we are no longer immune from temptation, okay? Uh, once a person tastes a life of sin and addiction, it is difficult to, you know, completely um, and once and for all leave it. Right, it's difficult. In Proverbs twenty six eleven, it says, "As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly." Right. So, so a fool who is a fool? A fool is a person who puts themselves in an environment that promotes or makes it very easy to fall back in because they have a false sense of security. They have a false sense of their own willpower. Right. And and we see this often. You know, a person, let's say, wants to have a certain group of friends and they enjoy this group of friends. But having now, you know, been more committed in their spiritual life, they begin to feel like the way these friends are acting, the things that they are saying, the things that they're doing are wrong and they are not befitting of a Christian and they're a source of temptation for me. OK, but I still want to be with them. So I struggle with this. The fool here, according to here when it's speaking about this, uh, this verse about the fool repeats his folly. The fool is the one who assumes that they can be strong enough to still be in that group, in that environment, and not fall, right? 
and not fall into the bad habits and not fall into the addiction and not fall into the alcoholism, to the drug use, to the, to the sexual addiction, to whatever it might be, right? Um, that is the fool, right? That's why it says a dog returns to his own vomit. So a fool repeats his folly. It's the same, okay? So um, the wise person, however, is the person who understands their own weaknesses, who understands the reality that they have been um, so exposed to sin in their life that it is a, such a source of temptation for them that they have to take extreme measures in order to protect themselves, right? And this is what discipleship is about. And when Christ speaks about discipleship, he says there is a cost associated with this discipleship. And Luke 14, 28 says, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, right? When I begin something, I must first look at my resources, look at what it is required, and then decide, do I have what it takes to finish or not? And if I don't have what it takes to finish, then I don't begin, right? This is what he's saying, count the costs, whether he has enough to finish. So what is the cost of discipleship? Well, this is part of the cost that we um, who, you know, have, have become accustomed to a certain lifestyle that maybe is, is, is a sinful lifestyle. When we are seriously wanting to approach God to have a deep relationship with God, we must count this cost and say, what is it that I must give up? What, what is it that I have to give away? What is it that I have to stop doing, right? And what is it that I need to start doing in order for me to actually be a disciple, right? So those who are realistic and want to make a real practical conversion, right, must realize that they cannot continue to live in that previous lifestyle, but they have to make a change, okay? So in the case of St. Moses, St. Macarius, okay, he, he understood. He understood that St. Moses had experienced so much in his life uh, so many, you know, so many temptations, so many addictions, so many bad habits, okay? And so he knew that he had to abstain from the world. If he were to go back into the world, at least at the beginning of his, um, his new life in monasticism, he would have been overwhelmed, okay? He, he, he would have, he, he would have, you know, been, been, been so easily influenced by, the things, the memories, the people, you know, his old life, right? That it would have been an stumbling block for him, okay? So if this is a realistic assessment of St. Moses, who was a saint, okay? How much more is it applicable to us, right? We are not gonna flee the world to a monastery, okay? But we should flee the things that have the greatest source of temptation for us. In 2 Timothy 2.22, it says, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Right? So in practice, what does this idea of fleeing look like to us? Right? Because like I said, we're not going to flee to a monastery. We're not going to physically run away. Okay? But it means what? Cutting out bad habits. And, and cutting out bad habits, you know, a lot of times we... Part of the problem that we have with bad habits is we go to extremes, you know, like eating is good, but overeating is bad. Um, using the internet is good, but overusing it is bad. You know, talking is good, but over talking is bad. Um, and, and that idea of the moderation of doing something that is allowed in a certain amount, but when you cross a certain line, it is, it is becomes uh, uh, damaging 
um, and wrong, those are the most difficult things because it's so easy to cross that line. It's so easy to cross the line. So for instance, if I'm trying to control my internet usage, if I'm saying, you know what, I'm spending way too much time on the internet, I'm wasting time, I'm corrupting my mind, or maybe I'm going and doing things I shouldn't be doing. So uh, what is the solution? Well, if I try to, to moderate it, okay, I might find it that it's difficult to do so because it's a, it's, a, it's a temptation. I'm there, I'm in front of the computer, I'm in front of my phone, and it's so easy, I'm already on, just to go one more thing, one more thing, one more thing, and we find ourselves kind of falling into that trap, okay? Another way is to just cut it out, at least for a period of time completely, right? And only use it for the essentials. So many people, for instance, that struggle with like internet addiction, like um, I tell them, um, stop using internet completely. Stop using social media. Stop using anything, right? Um, only for the absolute requirements for your work or your study or whatever, and, and detoxify from it, okay? This is very difficult, okay? And, and, and it's difficult to do, but it's actually easier to do this than to try to do it in moderation for many, for many, because the attempt to do it in moderation will easily lead me back again to like going full full on and, and, and being addicted again. So sometimes this detoxification, just kind of like with someone who is a drug abuser, right? When someone's a drug abuser, you tell them what? No, you have to completely detoxify. You have to completely cut out drugs, right? You have to stop completely. We put you in a rehab facility and in that facility, you have absolutely no access to it and it'll take you as long as it takes you to learn a new habit, never to go back to it again. We don't tell you, okay, we'll just, take half the amount of drugs that you're taking now, right? Because that doesn't work. So, so when we look at sin the same way, okay, there are some things that cannot be compromised but have to be completely cut out, right? So um, another example, someone who struggles with alcoholism, they try to completely stop alcohol, right? And they try to go their life without drinking alcohol again because for that individual, because they have already been, they, they have suffered under the bondage of that slavery, right? And it is a weakness for them. The attempt to simply drink in moderation and have a single drink is going to be very easily to throw them and thrust them back into full-blown alcoholism again. Whereas another person who maybe never had that addiction or that weakness, they could drink a drink of alcohol and it doesn't cause them to completely lose their self-control, for instance, right? So each person is, um, is different, Okay, and according to our weaknesses, this is why we definitely have to speak to a father confession to understand, you know, what is the right path forward in various things with my relationship, with the habits that I do, with the practices, with my daily routine, and so on. Right? Um, God heals and God forgives and God forgets, right? But that doesn't mean that because God has forgotten the sins that I have repented of, it doesn't mean that I can completely just go back to the life that I lived before and expect that I'm going to be successful, right? I have to make changes. I have to make concessions to myself because of, and, 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 and acknowledge and realize my weakness, you know, flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness. Joseph the righteous, when he was in a situation where he was being tempted by Potiphar's wife, he fled, right? He didn't just try to stay in that location and, and control himself. He fled. He fled completely. And even it says he fled naked you know, because, because she was holding on to his garment. 
So, so that that is a, that is the extreme uh, kind of like protection that is needed in order for us to protect ourselves from sin. Number six. Why do we have many feasts in the church? So one of the things about the way that we uh, we worship is that we worship in a seasonal way. And even though God is the same, you know, obviously like God is not changing from season to season. Um, and all the events that we are celebrating have happened in the past. But we are reminding ourselves of many important events that have happened in the in the history uh, to remind ourselves of God's love to us, to remind ourselves of God's sacrifice for us, to remind ourselves of many different things uh, according to a seasonal calendar. So that because we as human beings, we like variation and we like change and we like there to be different periods of time that are that feel a little different, right? So um, for instance, example is people look forward to Christmas time, right? Because Christmas time has a certain feel to it. There are certain decorations, there's certain weather, there's certain music, there's certain even clothing that people wear, there's certain, you know, activities that people do, there's certain things, right? And so people look forward to that season, right? But if the entire year was Christmas, okay, then soon that season of Christmas, uh, the, the all year long Christmas would kind of lose its luster and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be special anymore. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have anything special to it anymore. It would just be like the normal life, right? So we, we, we look forward to changes, right, in the season. So the church also is set up um, as a seasonal calendar. And each of the seasons of the church is marked by different hymns, uh, different tunes, different prayers, different fastings, with different rules of fastings, different feast days that we celebrate, um, even different decorations in the church um, according to the, the, the season and so on. And this helps us to focus and look forward to each of these seasons. And each of these seasons has a certain feel to it and has a certain uh, understanding and has a certain effect that it has on us, right? And it reminds us of different aspects of what Christ did and, and, and different things in the church. Um, so we have a lot of different feasts, okay, for that reason. Um, I'm going to go through some of the main ones, okay? So the, the first feast of the Coptic year, so the Coptic New Year, when it's not a leap year, the, the first day of the Coptic year is September 11th, okay? So that's the first uh, season of the year is, is called the Nairuz season or the Coptic New Year season. It's the period of time at the beginning of the year where we are celebrating the beginning of the year. And the focus here is on um, remembering the martyrs, right? So remember I said earlier that the Coptic calendar uh, the, 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 the calendar uh, begins uh, marking a martyrdom, a period of martyrdom in the church. So at the beginning of the new year, we're always remembering the martyrs, right? We're remembering all those who uh, kind of gave their life uh, for the faith and for, for the church and for us to look at them and imitate them um, in their life and their desire for holiness and so on, okay? Um, followed after this is the Feast of the Cross, Okay, here we remember the power of the cross. We, we remember the miracle of the appearance of the cross uh, to Queen Helen. Uh, after this, we have the nativity fast, which is a period of 43 days of fasting where we are preparing for the coming of Christ for the incarnation. Then we have the nativity feast where we are celebrating the incarnation of the Lord. And of course, we know the incarnation is a huge event, right? 
when we when we when we contemplate and we think about the incarnation of Christ, we think about you know how he condescended um, to be a human being for our sake, how this demonstrates his love and all that he has done for us. Um, we then celebrate the circumcision feast, which is the celebration of the circumcision of Christ according to the law on the eighth day. We celebrate the theophany, okay, which is the celebration of the baptism of Christ and the establishment of the sacrament of baptism uh, for us through which we become children of God. We celebrate the feast of the wedding of Cana of Galilee. This is the uh, miracle, the first miracle that Christ did where he turned water into wine. Uh, we celebrate the event of the presentation of the Lord into the temple, right? This is celebrating when the parents of the Lord brought him into the temple uh, to present him, uh, again, in accordance with the law and to offer a sacrifice. We celebrate Jonah's fast to remember the repentance of the Ninevites and how God had mercy on them through their fasting and their repentance. Uh, of course, then we celebrate the Holy Great Fast, the period of 55 days where we are um, in, in the most ascetic period of the year. We are focusing on our repentance and we are awaiting uh, Holy Week and awaiting the, the, the Feast of the Resurrection. We celebrate the Annunciation Feast uh, where we remember the events of Archangel Gabriel coming to, uh, to announce the birth of Christ to St. Mary. We celebrate Lazarus Saturday, which is uh, the day where uh, Christ uh, rose Lazarus uh, from the dead. We celebrate the entry of the Lord into Jerusalem, which is Hosanna Sunday, when Christ entered into Jerusalem at the beginning of Holy Week. Um, we celebrate the Holy Week period, which is the week right before the crucifixion and the resurrection. We celebrate in that week, we celebrate Covenant Thursday, okay, which is the day of the Lord's Supper, uh, the establishment of the Eucharist, the day where the Lord washed the feet of the disciples. We celebrate Good Friday, which is the day of the crucifixion of Christ. Of course, we celebrate the greatest feast of the year, which is the Feast of the Resurrection, commemorating the resurrection of Christ. We celebrate Thomas Sunday, which is the, uh, the, the, the first Sunday after the resurrection, where Thomas sees... Christ's appearance for the first time, uh, the entry of the Lord into Egypt when after the birth of Christ, when um, uh, Herod was seeking to kill the Christ child and uh, uh, the Holy Family flees from Israel and goes to Egypt and stays there for a time. We celebrate that feast. We also, uh, the, the Holy Feast of the Ascension, uh, where Christ ascends into heaven, the Feast of Pentecost, the coming down of the Holy Spirit. The Feast of the Apostles, where we are celebrating the beginning of the ministry of the Apostles after uh, the uh, the Pentecost. Um, and we are fasting of, like, like in commemoration and remembrance of the work of the Apostles and the establishment of the Church. Uh, this culminates in the celebration of the martyrdom of St. Peter and St. Paul. St. Mary's Fast, we remember the life and service of St. Mary the Feast of the Transfiguration, where Christ was transfigured. And then at the end of St. Mary's Fast, as one of the Feasts of St. Mary, we we celebrate the Assumption of her body, which is when her body was taken to heaven. Well, this was very brief. Um, of course, you know, we can go in much more detail about all of these feasts, but each of these feasts is designed to focus our mind on something. How is it that, what is it that Christ did? What was the purpose of him doing it? How did it fulfill prophecy? How, what effect did it have on us spiritually? Um, 
uh, all of these things are intended to bring our mind into an understanding of our faith and a celebration of different events that we celebrate year after year after year um, according to these different seasons. Okay. Okay, that's, uh, that's all we have time for today. Let's just conclude in a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Thank you, O God, for this day. Thank you, O Lord, for all your blessings and kindness upon us. We ask, O God, for your mercy. And we ask you, O Lord, to have compassion on us and not deal with us according to our many sins, but according to your mercy and love. Forgive us, O Lord, and grant us that we would see you and know you and desire to be with you more and more each day. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever.